0: yes wholesaling yes my favorite topic my favorite um investing strategy is wholesaling love wholesaling um like i said it's it's my favorite i wholesale properties i fix and flip properties i own a portfolio of real estate um where I get passive income from, but my favorite is wholesaling. For me, um, there's no better way to make money investing than wholesale, there's just no better way. Um, novice investors, new investors, best entry point for investing is wholesaling. So we're gonna talk about wholesaling um, this evening. Uh, get, get pen, get paper, um, take some notes. Everybody should be wholesaling. Whether you're new to the industry, whether you're a real estate agent, I see a lot of fix and flippers, fix and flippers that you guys um, know of that advertise on the radio, on TV, um, now they're wholesale. So they're advertising to generate leads, but they're really wholesale. That's what they're doing. I have an agent investor um, named Danielle who um, a family member passed in her, in her family. A family member passed recently and um the house was also deeded to another family member that family member contacted her and said um i need to sell the property and so danielle instead of she took a look at the property property needed about 180 190,000 dollars worth of work and she said i i'm not going to go through all that i'm just going to wholesale the property so she contacted a cash buyer cash buyer took a look at the property they negotiated a deal where Danielle made thirty-five thousand dollars wholesale fee. She didn't put up any cash. She didn't use any of her own credit. No contractors um, were involved. All she did was find another investor, and in a very very short period of time, Danielle made thirty-five thousand dollars in her pocket. Um, reason why I like wholesaling is um it's one of our cash building strategies and as a real estate investor there's two cash building strategies one is wholesaling and the other is fix and flip with wholesaling there's little to no risk you're not using any of your cash you're not no one's looking at your credit um great entry point the average um wholesale fee here in our area in the dmv is i'll say it's um around twenty thousand dollars fifteen twenty thousand dollars uh, I have some wholesalers who average $30,000. One of, one of my agent investors, Marquis, last year, his very first deal, he made a $100,000 wholesale fee. Um, he, average, he easily averages $30,000 per deal. Um, he's easily gone over that $50,000, $100,000. He recently had one where um, he told me he's going to be making $200,000 fee. And so that's why we're here. That's what we're going to talk about. And most of these wholesalers are making this money, you guys. um, Hey, Remy, are making this money in two weeks, three weeks. As soon as the title clears, their cash buyers who are buying either with cash or hard money or line of credit are closing quickly on these deals. You get your money wired to you um, from the settlement table, and then you're off to find another deal. Low risk, um, high reward. All right, so let, let's get into this, you guys. Um, I want this to be interactive. So if you have a question, go ahead and put it in the comment section. Um, but let's get into All right, so wholesaling. So wholesaling is probably new for a lot of you guys. You probably have heard the term, it's a real estate investment term, wholesaling. It's simply locating a property, a distressed property, um, and then Finding the motivated seller who owns that property, negotiating with that motivated seller um, at a price where then you can then assign that contract. You can assign that contract to another um, investor. We call them a cash buyer. <clears throat> Actually, um, Patricia's on the line now. Um, I think we're going to be doing a deal today where Patricia's going to make a wholesale fee, and she found that deal really just through networking. People that she knows. And so that's one of the ways that you find properties. Um, And we'll talk more about how do you actually find the motivated sellers, because that's the key to wholesaling. If you can't find the deals, you're not going to make any money. The key to real estate investing really is finding the deals. And the investor, the wholesaler that can find the most deals is going to make the most money. So it really comes down to lead generation, marketing. We'll talk a lot about that. But wholesaling, finding finding the deal, putting it under contract, and then assigning that contract to another investor. Now, to understand wholesaling, you've got to understand that there's two contracts that we use. We use the purchase and sales contract. Generally, I'll say 80% of the time, we, we use a purchase and sales contract. That's between you, the wholesaler, and um, the motivated seller. We put them under contract. Then we use another contract called the assignment agreement. That's between you, and the, you, the wholesaler, and the cash buyer or the other investor. On the assignment agreement, the assignment agreement is simply gonna state that that cash buyer, let's say I'm the cash buyer, that I'm going to take over all the rights and responsibilities of that, of that sales contract, that purchase agreement, But more importantly, I'm going to pay you, the wholesaler, 15,000, 20,000, $30,000 for the opportunity to take over that purchase agreement. So there's two contracts, two contracts must be be, um, signed. Um, You've got to know your contracts, you guys. You got to study the contracts, know your contracts. And so that's wholesaling. We're not dealing, we're really not dealing with contractors you're not dealing with the repairs. Once the deal closes, the cash buyer, they're the ones that deal with the contractors. And they're the ones that deal with, you know, sometimes the contractor headaches, um, um, you know, and and all that goes on with that change orders, things like that. Um, Some of the advantages of wholesaling, like I mentioned, you need little to no experience to do it. Like, I have wholesalers in my coaching program that um, one one comes to mind. Amanda comes to mind. She went through my coaching program. I have an eight-week course. Went went through my coaching program. Um, One thing that really resonated with Amanda was bandit signs. And so um, Amanda went out and bought bandit signs. Bandit signs are those signs that you guys see on the side of the road that say we buy houses. She um, bought about 50 bandit signs, put them all over her area. She wanted hers to be different, so they were hot pink. So they were a hot pink color. Uh, about 30 days after having the signs out, she got a she got a phone call from um, a lady whose uh, husband had passed. It was a probate deal, and she said, I, "I need to sell the property." I actually went to with her on the appointment, and we negotiated with the lady a price. Um, Amanda had her own cash buyers list, found the cash buyer. And on that deal, on her very first deal with little to no experience, Amanda made $35,000. As a matter of fact, closing was on her birthday. She was out of town and we, we wired the money to her from settlement on her birthday. What a great birthday present, $35,000, very little experience. So to get into the game, you guys, to change your lives, um, to start building generational wealth, Um, it doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take a lot of experience. Amanda didn't use any of her own cash. Didn't use any, any, any didn't show any of her own credit. Now, listen to me, you guys, here's, here's the key. I mentioned that, um, in real estate investing, there's two strategies. One's a cash building strategy and that's, um, wholesaling and, um, fixing and flipping properties. We do that for cash. The other strategy in real estate investing is your buy and hold strategy. We're buying and holding for um, equity, appreciation and cash flow. We want to have a strategy to use both. You are not going to become wealthy just wholesaling real estate or just flipping real estate. You also have to buy and hold. The question is, in order to buy and hold, you need cash. And so we're, we're using the cash um, from wholesaling to then take some of that money to then build long term wealth, buying and holding, buying and holding residential properties, buying and holding multifamily properties. A lot of my investors are buying and holding Airbnb, vacation rentals, um, things like that. So keep that in mind. So when we do that, you know, I, I'll, I'll talk to you guys today a lot about not needing credit to. Um, to wholesale but you do need to start working on your credit while you're building up your cash and while you're building up your cash reserves start working on your credit because because in order to build long-term wealth we want to buy and hold or at least take some of that cash um for a long-term invested and maybe put it in the stock market if you know the stock market um, uh, dividend stocks or something like that that's long term But we want our money to work for us. The problem with wholesaling is um, once we stop wholesaling, then our cash goes away. We're not making any more money. The reason I say to buy and hold as a long term strategy is because when we stop buying and holding, our our income continues. Matter of fact, it increases because we can go up five percent on rents every year. And so the cash flow keeps going. The equity and appreciation keeps going up the longer you hold on to the property. All right, here's what I want you to understand with wholesaling and any other real estate investment strategy, you have to know the math. Second to being really good at finding the properties, second to that is knowing the math. The number one mistake that real estate investors make, the number one mistake is buying the properties wrong. You have to buy the properties right how do you buy the properties right so that um when you sell when you assign when you wholesale you're going to make money and you guaranteeing yourself that you're going to make money you've got to know the math so we call that math um the main the, 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 the main formula we call it the mayo formula dietrich hey dietrich um and so Mayo stands for Maximum Allowable Offer. I go over this every Tuesday night with my investors. We have a Q&A every Tuesday night. I go over um, the Mayo formula with my investors. I drill it into them because I want them to make money. I don't want them to lose money. And so if you guys are taking notes, write this down. Here's the formula and I'll give you an example. Um, as a wholesaler, we're gonna to try to, the, the maximum allowable offer formula is as a wholesaler, 65% of the after repair value minus repair costs. So 65% of ARV after repair value, after repair value is simply what the house will sell for once it's completely renovated. And so once it's it's got granite countertops, stainless steel appliances, new hardwood floors, uh, new windows, roof, uh, kitchen, bath, everything is completely renovated. What's the property going to sell for? That's what we call our after repair value. So we're going to take 65% of that after repair value, and then we're going to subtract out the repair costs. And that's the maximum that we're allowed to offer the motivated seller. That's our MAO. That's our maximum allowable offer. And then once we get that number, we put them, we negotiate down to that number and we put them on a contract using, um, if it's off-market deal, using the purchase and sales agreement. Then once we have them on the contract, now we go to our cash buyers list. We're gonna build a list of investors. We're gonna build a list of investors that would be happy to purchase our property or take over our contract at 70% of the after repair value minus repair costs. And so they're gonna do it at 70%. There's a difference of 5%. That difference of 5% or 5% of the after repair value, that's your wholesale fee. That's your wholesale fee. Um, Quick scenario. Um, Let's say that the after repair value on a property is 300,000, so ARV is 300,000. You found this property, it's, it's an auction property. You've bidded the property. You did your math. Um, you determined through research, through pull and comps, that the after repair value is $300,000. You're going to take 65% of that $300,000 to get $195,000 minus repair costs. And so let's say that the repair cost is $60,000. And so uh, we're already at one ninety five dollars minus the $60,000. That's $135,000. So 300000 times 65% is 195. Minus dollars minus $60,000, that's 135. dollars That $135,000 is the maximum that you're allowed to offer the motivated seller, 135. dollars Once you get them under contract, negotiate down to 135. dollars now you're going to do the math for uh, the cash buyer. So that you know what to offer the cash buyer. A lot of it, a lot of um, wholesalers they offer um, too high, and they don't get their deals um, um, purchased. Get the contracts assigned. Um, so we're going to do seventy percent. So seventy percent of three hundred thousand is two hundred and ten thousand. Minus the sixty thousand dollars in repair costs is uh, one fifty. And so that if we're able to find a cash buyer. To assign that contract for 150, they signed the assignment agreement. You just made yourself $15,000. So you got it under contract for 135. dollars You put a cash buyer under contract for $150,000. You just made yourself $15,000. Generally speaking, I put on the assignment agreement um, either two weeks or three weeks settlement. Um, I make sure as a wholesaler, I'm sending the purchase and sales agreement and the assignment agreement to the title company. And I try to choose an investor-friendly title company, <clears throat> someone that I know, someone that I've used before. And I let them do the title work. I make sure that on the, on the HUD, CD, Ulta, that my, my assignment of fee is there. And I make sure that they have my wiring instructions and they wire me my money. And so that's, that's how wholesaling works. You've got to, you you have to know the formula. Um, You have to build a cash buyers list, and then um, you've got to do the math. You've got to know the math. Um, One one piece of advice that I would give is, I would definitely make sure that I had cash buyers that could help me through the process, um, a coach, or a mentor. You guys need a coach or a mentor to really help you um, throughout the process. Hopefully, I'm not making it sound um, as easy as some people would think it really is, um, because it's not. If it was that easy, everybody would be doing it. But it's not that difficult. And I'll give you guys some examples. A, a A lot of my agents, a lot of my agent investors who are wholesaling properties on a regular basis? Um, Steve, for example, one, one of my agent investors. Steve, um, he 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 goes driving for dollars. He's got a great network of people that he's branded himself with, and they send him deals. And along with his real estate commissions, he's also wholesaling real estate. Um, one, one of my one of my investors, Asia was in college. She was, she was in college when she started coming to our meetings. We Prior to COVID, we would have monthly meetings and she would come to it. One thing that resonated with her was probate, probate deals. And so between classes, she would go to the probate office uh, once a week, um, bring home all the new filings. In her dorm, she would handwrite the letters and envelopes to the personal representatives of the estate. Um, one morning she got a phone call and a personal representative call. It, it was the husband of the deceased of his deceased wife. Um, he called, said, I got your, I got your letter. Can you come take a look at the property? Now she's a sophomore college. She went to the, she went to, um, she came on one of our calls on a Tuesday night call and we prepped her. She had her paperwork. She had her numbers. Uh, we ran comps for her. Um, We teach how to negotiate. And so she went on. She ran the appointment on her own. She was able to get the motivated seller to um, sign the contract. She assigned the contract to one of our investors. And as a college student, she made ten thousand dollars, a quick ten thousand dollars, closed in two weeks. And she's been investing ever since. And so if these people can do it, you guys, you guys can do it, too a couple tips Um, build your cash buyers list early in the process start building your cash buyers list Um, put me on your cash buyers list i'm buying properties Um, but there's many other cash buyers if you're a cash buyer and you're on here um put put your email address in the comment section put your email address let's start building a cash buyers list now Um, put put your email address here um in in the comment section, we'll we'll build a cash buyers list. So you've got to have a strong cash buyers list. Listen, if you're you're finding properties, let's say in Baltimore, Maryland, for example, make sure that you have a separate cash buyers list for investors who are buying in Baltimore. If you're looking, if you're finding multifamily, we'll build a cash buyers list of buyers who buy multifamily. If, Colin is in the house, write down Colin's information. If you're um, in Washington DC and you're finding properties in DC, find a cash buyers list of cash buyers buying in DC. Um, Don't restrict yourself to just one cash buyers list that that doesn't service actually what you're finding. I have an agent investor, he's one of my agents, but he finds, he specializes in land and he's always finding land and he's finding great deals He ran into an issue where he didn't have a lot of cash buyers who bought land. And so I sat him down. I said, look, we need to start finding cash buyers who buy land. And so that's what you have to do. And that's the type of cash buyer, not just any old cash buyer. Um, A a lot of people um, will put um, will will build cash buyers list and really not have the cash buyer to to assign the deals to. So find a good cash buyers list. Um, Some of the places to um, find cash buyers, the number one place to find cash buyers, you guys, is at the auction, at at the auction in front of the courthouse steps. That's where I find my cash buyers. Um, There was a time prior to COVID where you could easily go to a REA meeting, uh, a meetup. Um, I used to have a meetup. I will have a meetup hopefully by the end of this year when COVID kind of subsides and everybody's been vaccinated. But real estate investment groups is the best way to find your cash buyer and build a cash buyers list. Um, Every day at different auctions, um, at the courthouse steps, there's 20 different cash buyers. You go um, with your pad and you write down their name, their email address, their phone number, and what they're buying. That's how you start building a cash buyers list. But more importantly, catch buyers list is important. Knowing the math is important. What's most important is finding deals, you guys. That's most important. Uh, That's what's most important. All right. So here's something I want to explain to you guys. Um, When you're wholesaling properties that are on the market, meaning in the MLS, when you're wholesaling some auction properties, when you're wholesaling short sale properties, uh, and write these things down. Um, listen to this again. I don't want you using your name, your name, or your LLC as the cash buyer. I don't want you using that name again when they're on on market deals, like in the MLS, where when um, a lot of the auction properties, short sales, um, we're going to use what's called a generic. LLC. Uh, One of my agent investors was was on one of the um, auction sites. Um, I believe he was on HUBZoo and he was upstairs here here in my office and he had been following this property, following the property, bidding on the property. Um, He had ran his numbers and he knew exactly what not to bid over. And in this case, it was 125,000. And so he was bidding online against somebody else, got to 125. He said, okay, 125. And then the other person stopped bidding. He won the bid. He filled out the information and put his name as the buyer his first name, his last name. He runs downstairs and says, Greg, I've got a deal for you. I want you to be my cash buyer. Um, These are the numbers and I ran ran the numbers, okay, ARV is good, ARV is about 275, he got on the contract for 125, bam, it's a good deal. First question I asked him was, well, what's the buyer's name? I'm assuming the buyer's name is an LLC that he can assign to, like 123 Main Street LLC. It wasn't, it was his name, and so I asked him, I said, well, Columbus, how, how can I be the buyer when you're the buyer. And I said, we've got a problem. And so he called the auctioneer, long story short, begged and pleaded. And so they sent an addendum allowing him to change the name to an an LLC that that I then took over. And so on those deals, we put the buyer's name as what I call a generic LLC. We'll make up an LLC where there's nothing in it um, once we win the bid, we'll get the articles in the corporation. Um, and I'll take over, or the cash buyer can take over that um, that LLC. Um, if you have questions, ask about that. Kind of went fast, I mean, through that pretty quickly. But you've got to understand that. I don't really want you um, to ever really use your name. Now you can use your name on our investor contracts if it's a if it's an off-market deal, you can use your name because on our investor contract, boilerplate in there, you put your name and it already says and or assigns. And then in one of the paragraphs, I think a paragraph 11, says that this contract is assignable. And so as long as that's in there, you're fine. You can use your name. I would prefer you for many for a couple of reasons not to use your name, um, use an LLC when investing in general, always use an LLC, basically two reasons. Number one, you have the protections of a corporation. If you're doing business as an LLC and something goes wrong in the deal and you get sued, you can't get sued personally. You can only get sued um, what's in that LLC, um, just like a corporation. So it's its own entity. And in most cases, for most of us, there's really nothing in that LLC. You should not be wholesaling a um, using an LLC that you have buy and hold properties in, we're not doing that. But then the other reason to use an LLC is, even though you have the protections of a corporation, you're only taxed, you're not taxed as a, I had a higher rate like a corporation, you're taxed as a um, individual sole proprietor. So use an LLC, use an LLC. Make sure, and we have it boilerplate on the um, assignment agreement, make sure your cash buyer Puts up a, a, a deposit. So let's let's say the let's say the wholesale fee or the assignment fee is twenty thousand dollars. I want them to put up at least five thousand dollars of that as a deposit. So in a wholesale deal, there's really two deposit, two deposits. There's an earnest money deposit on the purchase and sales agreement that is held by the title company, your investor friendly title company, but then there's also a deposit on your on your wholesale fee that's also held by um, the title company. I don't want you holding the deposit. I've had so many situations where the wholesaler held the deposit. Something went wrong on the title. wasn't wasn't the cash buyer's fault. Something went wrong on the title. Deal never closed. Seller goes back to, I mean, the uh, cash buyer goes back to the wholesale and says, "Deal didn't close. It wasn't my fault. Um, I need you to return that five thousand dollars." Guess what? That wholesale has already spent the money. So never ever never ever 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 hold the deposit. Let the let the investor-friendly title company hold the deposit. Now, if they're holding the deposit and the buyer, I mean, the cash buyer reneges, then yeah, that's your money. We, we had a case where I was wholesaling a property in DC and the ca- the uh, cash buyer wrote a contract on it. His guys, his team came and looked at the property, took pictures. They said, okay, and we're under contract $10,000 deposit. He put up a $10,000 deposit. The wholesale fee was $30,000. The day before settlement, the actual cash buyer went and looked at the property and determined that he didn't want it called, apologized. I don't want the property. We said, well, you know, you're going to have to forfeit the deposit. He looked at the contract. He said, yeah, I know, I know it's fine. And we kept the deposit was no fuss. I mean, he knew. And so, um, but if it's not the cash buyer's fault that it doesn't close, you got to return that money. It's easier to return. If you don't have the money, um, we've got to know how to negotiate we, we negotiate down to the, um, the wholesale fee. I mean, the, um, the, um, not the wholesale fee, but we can negotiate down to the MAO, to the formula. And so you've got to know how to negotiate. We, we've got eight different ways to negotiate. Um, this is not a negotiating, um, talk, but uh, we, we teach that. And so those are everything that you guys need to know about wholesale. And so here's my question. When are you going to wholesale? Like you've got to wholesale. You've got to make some money. There's deals all around. We are in a market where cash buyers, I'm a cash buyer too. I'm not wholesaling now. I'm buying properties because there's a shortage. There's a shortage of inventory. And I want to be on the winning side um, of that shortage. And the winning side is uh, sellers who are selling their properties and investors who are fixing and flipping their properties and the agents who represent them. So listing agents, that's the winning side. That side is less stressful. And so cash buyers, the formula is 70 percent. They buy a 70 percent. I know of cash buyers that are buying higher paying top dollar in this market. Um, Because they know that by the time that they renovate the property and put it back on the market, it's going to have appreciated um, even a little better, another maybe 5%. So there's cash buyers now that are buying these properties at 70%. I saw one buy at 80%. And so you guys just have to get out and find properties where you would have made $15,000. Now you're going to make $20,000. Again, it's not unheard of to make $30,000, $40,000, $50,000 wholesale fee. I had I had a deal a few years ago where right before, um, about three days before settlement, the seller died and she passed away. The house was, she owned the property free and clear. She died. And my contract survives that. So my contract stayed on the property. Now, um, they went through probate. Um, her daughter was assigned personal representative. Her daughter hired an attorney to try to deem my contract null and void. I hired a, I hired an attorney as well. So her, her daughter, who was a personal representative, hired an attorney. I hired an attorney. And my my attorney i mean we we were in the right and so my contract survived took two and a half years to actually close that deal but somebody put in the comments section what happened for me in that two and a half years what happened because i was i was just sitting back i was just sitting back chilling my contract was good i'm chilling guess what happened in two and a half years that property appreciated where I was under contract for $665,000, I was able to sell that property or assign that contract for 900, you gained equity. Value went up, that's right, Danielle and Keith, absolutely. I'm under contract for $665,000. I, so I assigned that contract, you guys, do the math, for $950,000. It was a four level row, big Victorian by the um, new convention center downtown. The guy actually bought the property for $950,000. I made my wholesale fee. Um, He turned turned that four level huge brownstone into two condos, Um, sold each condo for 1.2 million. And so he got his, it took him like a year and a half. He got his money, but like I made like almost $300,000 wholesale fee. And so that's what you can do with wholesaling, you guys. I didn't put up any cash, no credit. Um, that's wholesaling. And that's what you guys are going to do. And so here's what I want you guys to do in the next in the next 60 days. This is your 60-day plan to your next wholesale deal. <clears throat> write this down, 10 steps, write this down. And I, I want you guys to report back to me. I want you to report back to me um, your success. And one of you guys is going to close a deal, maybe two or three in the next 60 days. Um, number one, I, identify a marketing area. Know your area, know your neighborhood, identify that area, identify that market. <clears throat> know what that, tar- that target is. What's that targeted area, so a place where you grew up, a place where you live now, place that you frequent often? <coughs> Dominate that area. You want to you put up bandit signs in that area. You want to send um, letters or postcards to all the absentee owners in that area. Letters or postcards to all the owners in that area that own their houses free and clear. You're going to get a list to do the mailing. And you're going to get the list from list, listsource.com, listability.com, melissadata.com. Get that list, build that list. You can also get the list from PropStream or realeflo.com. to um, To the CRMs I'll talk about in a second. Get the list, do the mailings there. Um, I walk my personal neighborhood so the neighbors know me. Um, you can door knock. A lot of my investors door knock. Um, there's so there's many ways to dominate an area. And so that's one of the things I want you to do is find the motivated sellers in that area. Go driving for dollars. I said that's one of the things that Steve does is go. He drives for dollars, um, uses an app um, deal machine. And so in front of the house, you can put in he, he pulls out his app on his phone, puts in the address and then the the homeowner's name and number pops up call right in front you can make a phone call hey uh, my name is greg bennett i'm in front of your house it looks to be vacant and abandoned Um, i'm a real estate investor i pay cash for properties i'm calling to see if you might be interested in selling your property i'd love to make a cash offer that's your script and you've got to do that and keep doing that while you're there while you're in front now PropStream will also allow you to hit a couple buttons, and then you can send a postcard while you're in front of their house. Um, obviously, it goes through the mail, but you can send a postcard, a pre-printed postcard, to that to that owner, and so you can do that as well. Um, but that's driving for dollars. So go driving for dollars. Um, probate. Um, I, I talked about Asia and and pro and going to the probate office. Um, one of one of our investors, Dorothy, she uh, she averages about thirty thousand um, dollars a wholesale deal. She goes after probate. That's one of her niches, probate. The reason she goes after probate, listen to this, you guys. Eighty percent of the time, when one passes away, they pass away owning real property. So they pass away owning real estate. Of that 80%, 70% of them own the real estate free and clear of mortgages. The personal representatives in most cases need to sell the properties. So there's lots of room in there, lots of equity, lots of room to negotiate. And so whenever you hear me talk about or anybody else talk about making a $100,000 wholesale fee, Or over a $200,000 wholesale fee, $50,000 wholesale fee, nine times out of 10, it's a probate deal. Nine times out of 10, it's a probate deal. Go after probate. And so that's one of the things I think um, somebody put in the comment section. There was a time recently because of COVID that the probate office is closed. I I don't, I can't, somebody let me know if the probate office is back open. there are people who actually sell the list they actually go down and sell the list so you can find a probate list off of people who sell or as i used to do i i would go down once or twice um, a week to the probate office and, and pull all the new filings call them with the script or send them a letter or or really i used to send postcards i'd get my postcards um, you can get them from vistaprint you can get them from YellLetters.com. Um, postcard mania you can get all you can get your um, pre-printed postcards from from those people absentee owners like I've made a killing from absentee owners an absentee owner is one who owns the property but doesn't live there the house is either vacant or abandoned um, or it's a rental property if it's a rental property landlords sell their properties every five to six years landlords buy their properties, they're investors, so they get deals, so they buy the properties with equity. They gain equity in five to six years, and then they need to sell the property. They sell the property because they get tired of the tenants, toilets, and termites, three Ts. Hate it. And it just drives them crazy. They're not in there for the long haul. They've picked the wrong tenant, um, and it's just too much for them. And so we see them. We see them at the landlord tenant court. A lot of my investors would go to the landlord tenant court and pass out their business cards. Um, you can get a list of um, absentee owners. There's lots of places that you can actually get um, absentee owners. Again, through list source listability, uh, PropStream, Real Eflow, you can get those lists. Auctions, auction properties. Um, there's there's an investor. One of one of my investors that I coach, his strategy is going to the auctions and winning the bids. He puts the money up and he wholesales those properties. He gets his he gets reimbursed his deposit plus his wholesale fee. I've had numerous, numerous Mar- Mar- um, another Marita. She um, won a bid on Hubz and she wholesaled that property. She actually wholesaled the property to me, uh, property in um, Baltimore. Um, Bond Secure off of uh, Northern Parkway. Um, She wholesaled the property to me and I believe she made about $15,000. She won that on HUBZoo. She put it in an LLC. I took over the LLC and we closed in like three weeks. Paid her a wholesale fee, auction properties are really good, either online or um, in front of the courthouse steps. Um, You can find properties in the MLS. Now I I use MLS as one of the last because you get the better deals um, off market. Um, I don't really look for deals um, on the MLS. People bring me deals on the MLS or real estate agents actually bring me deals. And so which means as a wholesaler or an investor, it would behoove you to have relationships with real estate agents because they get listings. And sometimes the listings are distressed. Sometimes the homeowner wants to sell the property as is have those relationships. I have relationships with, um, REO agents, agents that get, um, listings, um, from the banks. And generally speaking, once the property has been on the market for about 30 days, Now the asset managers, they're a little more lenient on going down on the price. When that happens, they call me uh, because they know I can deliver and we go on the contract. So every year, four or five deals a year is through um, an REO agent. So you wanna have those kind of relationships. All of these you guys are getting you to the point where You can close a deal in 30 days. The question is, the first question is, what's your market area? Second question is, how are you going to find the motivated sellers? How are you going to find the deals, you guys? That's the key. Here's what I have left for last in terms of, of marketing, lead generation. But it's first. It's networking. It's branding. You've got to brand. Look, I'm branding myself. Where is it? Right here. And so sometimes branding is wearing a hat. I think I've got a hat in here, Um, a shirt. Uh, Some of my investors put magnets on their cars. So it's branding. Social media is branding. You put on social media, put on social media now that you're a real estate investor. um, You can buy properties fast. You can pay cash and you can um, buy as is. Put it on there now, tag me. Let me know that you're serious. But do it consistently. So networking. I always use the example. One of of my investors, um, I talked about probate. The best way to find, to get the probate deals, you guys, is through networking. That's the best way. Um, A a personal representative would rather sell to someone they know than someone that they don't know, someone that's calling them, someone that's sending letters um, um, and postcards. And so one of my investors, Gary, he's branded. Used to be with the fire department, brand everybody at the fire department knows that he's a real estate investor. Family and friends know he's a real estate investor. Everyone in his church knows that he's a real estate investor. Um, Lady in his church, mother passed away. She's a personal representative of the state because he's so branded. She got all these calls, all these letters, all these postcards, she went with her church member, Gary. Gary put her under contract, and he wholesaled the deal. That's the best way to find is networking. Um, creating a database and then marketing to that database, branding yourself in that database. Uh, we use databases, you guys, PropStream, RealEflow. We use automation technology to run our business. If you're serious about this, look up PropStream. Look up Real RealEflow get the crms the automation that's going to help you with your business but also help you close that first deal in the next 60 days you guys um build that cash buyers list i think a couple people put their information here use me as a cash buyer build a team i want you to have a big goal you will never ever achieve a big goal without building a big team have a dream team part of your dream team is a coach or mentor um, also someone that, um, a cash buyers list, someone that actually can go out and estimate repair cost, um, investor friendly title company, our investor friendly title company celebrates settlement services, um, investor friendly. They close all of our, my deals, all of our investor deals. Um, they're located in my real estate office. And so they're learned on real estate investor investing their investors themselves. Um, real estate agent if you guys don't have a real estate agent um obviously an accountant um but build that dream team build the list build the dream team so that when you find a property you've got all the players in place um oh so i didn't mention cold calling but you want to cold call um some some of my investors use craigslist um for the, um, and put, they, they put properties and, and ads on, on Craigslist. The, the, the key to your success, you guys, the key to your success is to take action. That's the key. That's the key to your success. <clears throat> I can really go on and on and on and on with what you should do. You've got to know your numbers, you've got to make appointments. Um, you've got to have a relationship with your cash buyers. I would prefer you not to use a cash buyer that you don't know. Form relationships, bond with them. When you, when, when, my, when, my, when my wholesalers uh, wholesale deals to me, I want them to follow me on my projects so that they learn, so that one day they can flip properties too. And so that's the type of cash buyer that you want. You also want to have a cash buyer that's happy to pay you like i um i had a property on florida avenue northwest dc where um, i told one of the one of my cash buyers on my cash buyers list this was a few years ago uh, what the numbers were he was happy to buy the property at the number i gave him he came to verify and looked at the property said yes where's the contract And so in order for me to get him to sign my assignment agreement i had to show him the purchase contract he looked at my purchase contract and saw that the difference between what i had it under contract for and what he was happy to purchase it for the difference was seventy thousand dollars that seventy thousand dollars was my wholesale fee he reneged on the deal he said no i'm not paying you seventy thousand dollars and so I took the assignment agreement and I calmly walked out because I said to myself, there's more cash buyers. If he's not willing to pay me the $70,000 that the numbers call for, that really he already agreed to, then I don't want to do business with him. I quickly, the next day, found another cash buyer and make a long story short, we closed the deal. Do deals with cash buyers that are happy I once paid a couple of years ago. One of my agents, one of my agent investors, had a deal, probate deal. She worked that deal, put it on the contract. Um, I started negotiating with her. I was below my Mayo formula. I mean, I was at probably around 60%. She said, "No problem." She was real calm. No problem. That's fine. I get the I get the contract. And I'm paying a $120,000 wholesale, wholesale fee. Now, my numbers are brilliant. My numbers are good. I'm happy. I see her number, 120000 Got to admit, it took a deep breath. But you know what I said to myself? I'm happy. I'm happy she's getting hers. I'm happy to pay her. I paid her $120,000 wholesale fee. She made that $120,000 wholesale fee in three weeks. I rented the property, I mean renovated the property, took me probably seven, eight months to renovate the property, Um, had some change orders. I had to go up on the property, up a level. Um, So it took a while with permits and inspections and things like that. I made in seven or eight months, happy to make it $120,000. She made her $120,000 wholesaling in three weeks. Didn't use any of her own money. Didn't use. um, Didn't show any of her own credit. That's why I like wholesaling. And so when I find a property, I ask myself: Number one, is this a property that I can wholesale? I I ask myself also: Is this a deal where I can use some type of creative financing to purchase the property? And then lastly, I ask myself: Is it you know can I go the traditional way? But wholesaling is my first option. Always, 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 always. Um, As I said earlier, as far as I'm concerned, as an investor, it's the best strategy. Um, I've been doing this a long time, you guys, over 30 years. And one thing that I personally try to stay away from now, um, because all I think about is retirement, is reducing uh, my risk, reducing my stress. And the way to do that is through wholesale and then taking that cash and then buying and holding. So um, I have my cash building strategy. So I wholesale to hold, wholesale to hold. Do I flip? I do, I I do flip. I've got four projects going on now, but um, my favorite is wholesale. And so I want that to be your favorite. And I want you guys to do some of those things that I've already talked about um, to get your first deal in the next 60 days. Here, here's a question that I get all the time. As a real estate agent, can you wholesale? Obviously you can, you just have to disclose. So on, on our um, contract, our investor friendly contract, we already have on a contract that you're disclosing. You're disclosing that you're a real estate agent, even on a off market deal, you have to disclose in writing if you're a real estate agent um, that you're a real estate agent. So we have that boilerplate on on the deal. I I um I re- recently purchased a property where um, where an agent an REO agent found the property and the set the original buyer um, the deal fell apart and so she called me and so I wrote a contract and she wrote the contract, I signed it. Um, we closed on the deal. So on that deal, she was the listing agent and she was the buyer's agent. She, she received that settlement, the full 6% commission. Plus I paid her, not a wholesale fee, we call it a bonus. Plus I paid her, the buyer paid her a bonus Um, There was an addendum with the buyer paying her a bonus, and that bonus was on the settlement sheet. And so the question is, can a buyer pay a listing agent a bonus? Absolutely. As as long as it's disclosed. It was on settlement sheet. There's an addendum. Seller signed signed the addendum acknowledging that the buyer was paying her um, a bonus. So she got paid three times On the front end, she got both sides of the commission and she got a bonus slash wholesale fee, but a bonus for me, that was disclosed. Renovated the property. It took me about six weeks to renovate the property. After I renovated the property, I gave the read list back to her. So now she's the listing agent again. She happened to find the buyer for my renovated property she got paid the full 6% commission on, on the out sale. So she got paid twice. So all in all, you guys, she got paid five times, both side, both on the listing side. Uh, so when I purchased it, she got both sides, the buyer and the seller side. She got a bonus that was disclosed and she got the relist and found the buyer five times. That's not uncommon. And so as a real estate agent, can you also wholesale your listings? The answer is yes. You just have to disclose that to your seller. You can't call it a wholesale fee. You have to call it a bonus. Buyer can pay a bonus um, as long as it's disclosed in writing addendum and on the settlement sheet. And so you can do that as an agent. You have to do that as an agent, maximize your opportunity. While you're doing that, learn how to wholesale yourself and get in the game. Like my agent investors, that's why I like to say, and I don't don't brag about it, but my agent investors make more money than any other agent because not only do they get the full um, 100% on their commissions, they're also buying and holding properties, fixing and flipping properties. And most of them are also wholesaling their property. So they're looking, at the the real estate game and the real estate business differently than probably 95 percent of all the other agents because they're agent investors wholesaling is one of the strategies and so you guys got to get with it get with the wholesaling um i'll be giving more content on wholesaling fixing and flipping and everything as it as it um, relates to um real estate investing and just investing, <coughs> building wealth, leaving a legacy in, in general. And so I, I close you with this. Let me see if I have any questions. Um, I don't think so. Danielle, I found three cash buyers yesterday. And so Danielle is saying that she found three cash buyers at the courthouse yesterday. She was at the courthouse yesterday and, and added onto her cash buyers list. Look, you guys, <clears throat> we're in a pandemic now. Um, the, the market is hot. Um, there's there's more buyers than sellers, so we're in, a, we're in a seller's market. I believe that inventory is going to increase with the increase of vaccinations, and so there's going to be more opportunities for investors with more sellers selling. Unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of um, Sellers going to foreclosure, so there's going to be a lot of short sales. There's going to be a lot of REO properties, uh, properties being auctioned off at the courthouse. you got to learn this stuff, you guys. You've got to learn it. This this is not um, an industry where you make nine to five money. Sky's the limit. But you've got to open your, your eyes and your mind up to this information like I did many, many, many years ago and capitalize on. And take advantage of it and so that's what we do that's what we do here at bennett realty solutions if, if you're interested in, in joining our brokerage go go to joinbrs.com it's, it's scrolling on the on the bottom there um, joinbrs.com um, follow me on instagram um greg bennett invest um some of you guys are on my youtube channel um be a part of that join that as well um look you guys um Contact me if you have any questions about anything that I've talked about, but let's get going, let's go. wholesaling, fixing and flipping, buying and holding. Um, Let's maximize the information and let's live up to our fullest potential starting today. Let's close our first deal in the next 60 days. You can do it, but you you have to take action. You gotta learn this stuff and not be afraid to fail take action, be the best that you can be, let's go, let's go now, all right, you guys, take care, God bless, a lot of you guys here, Um, thank you guys for being here, if you need anything, call me, take care, God bless, and I'll talk to you soon, have a great, wonderful day, and so, I'm going to give you my five favorite um, um, creative financing strategies, but you only do these, you guys, when the numbers work. The numbers still have to work. The numbers at the end of the day still have to meet the mail formula. Um, but the beauty of this one was I didn't have to go out and get any finance. And I used his, his mortgage. He was happy. He walked away. I was happy. Um, I saved money on closing costs. And you know, I, I made my money. And so we, we use, write this down, we use... Um, Subject two deals. I do subject two deals where I know that the seller is distressed, and so the seller has to be distressed. The numbers have to work. Um, they often subject two often works um, if the seller is getting ready to go to foreclosure, and the numbers still work for you. Um, anytime that you can take over a mortgage, I, I had another one. One one of my coaching students um, was calling a list of pre foreclosures. So she was calling a list of pre foreclosures. I'm um, called a lady. She said, yes, I need to sell quickly. Come to my house. Um, I'm going to foreclosure in two weeks. And so she actually sent me, she couldn't make it. I went to the property. I talked to her, I ran the numbers, the numbers worked. I brought her mortgage current. She agreed to move out. She, she, um, moved out with uh, a relative I stopped the foreclosure by bringing the mortgage current, um, renovated the property. She signed the agreement, of course, paid her to sign the agreement, paid her to come back and sign the documents at settlement. And again, I made 50, $60,000. Didn't have to go out and get a mortgage on that property whatsoever. Um, paid her mortgage, brought it current, and she was happy. And as a matter of fact, at settlement, she was crying because she just thought, you know, she's going to lose everything. And so subject to, subject to, um, I have a subject to, um, contract that spells out everything that you need. Um, you don't want to use a regular contract, um, whether it's, you know, the state contract for realtors or a regular investor contract, you've got to use a subject to contract. I've had my attorney draw up a subject to contract. Um, so that's subject to, and that's probably, um, my favorite creative financing strategy. Every property that I look at, I want to do subject to. I want to leave that mortgage on the property if I can, and maybe 10, 20% of the time um, it works out, but I want to do subject to. And I, and so I encourage you, whenever it's a distressed situation and the numbers work, use subject to the existing mortgage. And again, if you guys have questions, put it in the comment section. Um, private lenders. I use a lot of private lenders um, to purchase my properties. Typically, whenever I fix and flip a property, if I'm not doing subject to, I'm using a private lender. And so there's a myth that you guys have heard of kind of growing up that you could buy real estate using no money down. Well, it's not a myth. You can And so I've got a property that I'm renovating now in the Brentwood section in Northeast DC where I acquired a property um, for $300,000. Um, I, I got the $300,000 from a hard money lender. And so now I need um, money for acquisition, I mean, for uh, repair costs. So the hard money lender lent me the repair costs. So I got one loan for acquisition and repair costs from a hard money lender, but I still need money for closing costs. And so I've got a number of different private lenders that lend me money at generally speaking around 10%. So they lend me money for at around 10%. Um, So I borrowed money. I think I borrowed $50,000 on this particular property. I use part of that money for down payment and closing costs to close the deal. And then I use the rest of the money. To get my contractors started with the first draw, so I didn't have to come out of my pocket with the first draw. On this particular property, we've got three draws. I, I believe the renovation cost is about one hundred and twenty thousand, so it's forty thousand dollars a draw. And and so that that so part of that first draw, um, which is forty thousand dollars, I used twenty of that twenty of the money that the private lender gave me. Um, to get started with the first draw, to get them through the first draw. And then the lender reimbursed me the whole $40,000 for the first draw. So I bought that property using none of my own money, closing costs, down payment. um, And to get started with the first draw, I used from a private lender, um, acquisition and renovation costs I got from a hard money lender. I came to the table with absolutely no money, I've been doing using private lenders probably for 10, 15 years now. And so one thing that you guys have to do, whether you're a real estate investor, whether you're a real estate agent, number one, you've got to find the opportunities. And then number two, as a strategy, because I like to do multiple deals at one time, I I, I want to always try to scale my business. There's been times where I had 10 projects going on at various stages. And so um, you start to use up a lot of your own cash. And so I ha- had asked myself, how can I do this? How can I still scale my business, do more than one deal at a time, um, but and but still stay solvent, still you know stay organ- organized, not be overcapitalized. And the answer was there's lots of answers, but one of the answers was um, using private lenders. And so almost all of my flips, I try to use a private lender, whether I'm using hard money acquisition and closing costs or uh, my line of credit, um, I for closing costs, down payment, I still use a private lender. Um, so where do you find private lenders? You find private lenders all around you. There's people all around you that um, have money. They, they may have money in a 401k, um, a self-directed IRA, like a solo 401k. Um, they may have retirement money, pension money, wh- whatever that is, um, you, you want to start to talk to them, let them know what you do, um, for this particular property. I didn't do this because I have relationships with my private lenders, but you want to put together a, a package, um, the property information about the property, the comps, what the after repair value is and show that, um, what the repair co- the repair cost is the scope of work, the draw schedule, all of those types of things, pictures of the property pictures of all the houses around the property. And so you want to put a package together to give to that private lender. And then you want to show a track record. You want to let them know, you know, I've I've flipped this property, done that property. And if you haven't, then you talk about someone that you know, me and my partner or my partners have done this to get the money to do it. And so I have a number of private lenders that often call me, Greg, you've got anything. And so I use them, them, I'm happy to use them um, to leverage what I'm doing to really scale my business. Um, and then flipping properties, as you guys know, is probably one of the best ways. It's, it's the number one cash building strategy that we have as investors. Um, that and wholesaling real estate are the two really big cash building strategies. Um, flipping prop- properties is number um, the number one cash building and, and here in our area in the dmv the average flip is about about hundred thousand um, dollars nationwide it's about seventy thousand dollars so uh but with high high uh, reward is high risk so with flipping property is high risk you minimize the risk by borrowing the money happy to pay it back i look at the lenders as my partners i look at um the private lenders as my partners And so, you know, I minimize my risk. So I want you to minimize your risk. Here's what I do with my private lenders. I have them sign. I sign a promissory note. And so I sign a note, a promissory note um, for the private, and what it spells out is how much I'm borrowing, when I'm gonna pay it back. Generally I say I'm gonna pay it back within six months or when this particular property closes, whichever um, occurs first. It'll state the interest rate that I'm um, willing to pay, and then what I do is I also give a personal guarantee. I'm so confident in what I do, I um. I give a I give a personal guarantee um, on what I um, on what I'm promising them. So Patricia says that I'm I keep freezing. Um, I I don't see that I'm freezing, but um, maybe I am. I apologize if I am if I am freezing. But private lenders, you guys, you've got to get them. Um, You can make a lot of money investing in real estate, but it can be cash um, intensive. Minimize that by um, using other people. There's lots of people that want to get into the game of investing. They just don't know how. And so what you need to do, what I did as a young investor is I prided myself on finding deals. And so that's what you've got to do. So, and I still pride myself on finding deals. And so when you find deals, now you have options. And one of the options is to flip the property um, along with that, getting other people to help because they want to be a part of it. A lot of people, they have money, but they're in um, savings accounts where they're getting less than 1% on them. They're in CDs where they might be getting 1%. They're in mutual funds and sometimes mutual funds you know, are, are getting three, four 5%, you're promising them 10%. And every now and then I'll, I'll pay even more than that up to 15%. And that money is annualized. So they get, you know, 10%, 15%, you know, um, compounded over, um, over 12 months. All right. So that's how I, I buy my flips using private money. Um, along with, my my line of credit or a hard money lender. All right. So we got subject to, we've got private lenders. Um and in the end, I'll talk about combining some of these. My my third favorite um creative financing strategy is owner financing. And so the very first property that I bought, I was 23 years old. I had just, you know, I've been, I'm a, I was a big fan of this gentleman by the name of Carlton Sheets. And so um, he used to do these late night infomercials, and I was probably, I don't know, 20, 21 years old. and um, I was fascinated about real estate and real estate investing. I had read that the richest families in the world, 95 percent of them, gained their wealth through um, real estate. So you know, at 17 years old, I said, I'm going to get into real estate. And so I was in college. I was up late one night. Carlton Sheets came on infomercial didn't have the money, borrowed the money, paid for his information, Um, books and cassette tapes and things like that, read them from cover to cover, listened to the tapes. Um, Year out of college, I was reading um, the classified section of the Washington Post and someone had put in the Washington Post um, a condo in DuPont Circle, that's in Northwest DC. And, And I said, I'm gonna try my hand. I was 23, I was like, I don't have anything to lose they was talking about owner financing. And I remember Carlton Sheets had talked about owner financing. So I reread that that chapter and I made an appointment, went to the property and long story short, negotiated with the owner where I would buy the property. Now at the time you could do these types of deals. I would buy the property, we'd go to settlement, they would be my bank and I would pay, they would hold a note an interest only note for five years. And I agreed to that. So I paid interest only for five years. During that five years, I rented the property for those five years. When that five year period was up, I then refinanced, paid them off and kept the property. And so that's an example of owner financing. Now owner financing is done just a little different uh, or I would recommend doing owner financing a little different. Now what I do, instead of taking a balloon for five years, um, I'll have the seller hold a note, but a, a note that's principal and interest over two years. And so I'll, I'll and I'll, I'll just check to see what the current interest rates are. There's an um, amortization chart that you can use um, online that will tell you what the payment should be at the current interest rate. Um, with with the principal balance and so that's how I do it now because after the two years I want some of that principal paid down I'll still amortize it over 30 year payments but I'll set it up so that I'm I'm paying them off in two years and so in two years you've got options you can either um, pay them off uh, refinance pay them off continue to rent the property if you're renting the property you can flip the property and, and pay them off. so you've got you've got a lot of different um, options there. Um, here's the paperwork. here's the paperwork. And so I use an investor contract to acquire the property. Then I use the owner financing um, contract. It's really a note. And on the owner financing note, what what I do is I, I put the, the principal payment, I put the interest payment. So I spell out on the owner financing note all the details of that note. And so both that note and the contract gets recorded and I make the payments. And so that's owner financing. Owner financing is best used, in my opinion, when the owner owns the property free and clear. That's the easiest way to do owner financing. Um. is when the owner owns the property free and clear, or when the owner has a very small note on the property. Otherwise I'll do, um, if they have a note, especially if they're behind on the note, I'll do a subject too. But if they're free and clear, so I I ran into a gentleman in uh, Baltimore who had three rental properties. He owned them all free and clear. He didn't want the capital gain taxes right now. He's getting ready to retire. He wanted to pay capital gain on his properties after he retired so he had he hadn't retired yet and so um he so he had, he came to me and said what should i do he i said i'll buy the properties um you hold the financing and in two years um you'll you would have already retired i'll go ahead and and um refinance these and pay you off and he agreed because um he in retirement, he's in a lower um, tax bracket. And so that's a, that's another reason, another um, strategy when people, they don't want the capital gain immediately to um, use owner financing. So um, I love using owner financing. I use owner financing as often as I can, um, especially if they tell me I want to sell my property and I want to... Um, and they they don't have a, a note and then so i'll try to put together a deal i'll try to negotiate a deal where they're holding financing i was in negotiations it didn't go through but i was in negotiations to buy a commercial building um about six or seven months ago eight months ago and i was i i was going to get them the deal was that i was going to get a note from a lender and i was going to have them take back a second which they were willing to do, take back a second note for two years. And I was going to draw up the same way I just described on a commercial property that I that I had negotiated down to about um, uh, $2 million. But because of COVID and, and a few other things, the deal just didn't work out. Um, but always know it's easier to do a second mortgage, a second note, if you're going to do a second with an owner versus a lender, because most lenders want to be in first position. Um, But a seller, a motivated seller, they they don't care. They'll take a second position um, as long as that note is a lien on the property. And so owner financing, you guys, do owner financing um, whenever you can. Let the owner be the bank. All right, so we've gone through subject to buying subject to the existing mortgage using individuals um as private lenders and then um owner financing fourth is and i love this too is jv agreements joint ventures doing joint venture agreements um i had a property in the trinidad section of northeast a couple years ago where um i i actually a wholesaler found the property at the time it was a time where i was doing like five or six or seven um different properties at at one time, it was a great deal. I didn't wanna pass it up, but I didn't have a lot of cash on me at the time. And so one of my investors said, I'll put up all the money. And so I said, okay, let's let's do it. And so we entered into a joint venture agreement where I had the property. Um, I was going to manage the property, get my contractors there, sell the property, uh, they are they had a, a job where they just too busy all they want to do is put up the money so they put up all the money and in this case we split the profit 60 40 where I got 60 they got 40 they were happy with 40 percent of the profit and so we did a JV agreement and so we actually signed a JV agreement they put up all the money and I basically did everything else. Now I've done joint venture agreements with contractors where I put up the money for acquisition, they put up the money for rehab, they managed the rehab. Um, and then when we sold the property, we split the profit 50-50. Um, they would give me receipts for the um, for material costs. And we paid the material costs back. Um, I didn't pay them for labor, just material costs. And so they renovated the property and they wanted a piece. They wanted a piece of the action, not just the regular um, renovation costs. And so I've done joint ventures with, with lenders, with uh, other investors. And so I like doing JV agreements because I I like the leverage. I like being able to do multiple deals at the same time. I don't have to get a full piece of the pie. I can split that pie up. I can get half or sometimes a little more than half. I'm happy with that because I want to do a number of deals. Um, I don't want to spread myself too thin, And i don't do as many deals as as i used to do but um you can do more deals using these creative financing strategies and so one thing that i would start working on you guys is try to find um, other investors or they don't even have to be investors they could just simply be people who have money um whether they're what we call an accredited investor or not you know preferably an accredited investor who has a certain net worth and a certain understanding of what they're getting themselves into. But um, the way you scale, the way you go from doing one deal at a time. So when I was 23 years old, my goal was to buy one property at a time. And so I bought the first property in in DuPont Circle. And then every year after that, I bought one property. And then I I thought to myself after after the five-year mark, like, I need to scale this. I need to do more than just you know, one a year and, and I was still young. I was still in my twenties. The way to do this was to partner. And so that's what I did. I'd find I'd find the deals. And there was a number of people that I would partner with um, that they would put up the money. Cause I, I didn't have a lot of cash at that time. I was cash poor, kind of real estate rich. And so that's what we did. And so that's what you're going to have to do. Getting started is it's okay to partner with people, make sure that you know who they are, you vet them, you bond with them. Um, everybody has different strengths. And so I've seen people partner where uh, one partner had money, but the other partner was good at finding deals and they had great credit. And so sometimes if you just simply have great credit and get can get financing, you're a partner. But when we talk about partnering, doing um, joint venture agreements, you've got to bring something to the table. And so then the question is, what are you going to bring to the table? Um, are you good at either renovating properties or manage, or you have a crew that can renovate properties? Now you're a player. Do you have cash? If you have cash, when I say cash, $50,000 or more, now you're a player. Um, can you find deals? Are you really good at hustling, finding deals, driving for dollars, social media, networking, um, cold calling? Working um, probate deals. Are you good at those things? Because if so, and you can get the deals and you can get them under contract, now you're a player. And so you've got to put yourself in a position where you're a player. Use somebody else's strengths. Now you can be. Now you can do partnerships. You can do joint venture agreements, um, leveraging each other's skills. And that's what you've got to do. And that's what you've got to start thinking about in order to go from where you are to what your potential says you should be. And so I felt like even even in my twenties, like my potential was that I could scale this where I could make a million dollars a year because if I could get to 10, this is just my math. If I could get to 10 deals a year and then average $100,000 a deal, and it's easier said than done. That's a million dollars. That, that's a million dollars. And so there's people that I know. Some of my colleagues are doing 20, 20 deals a year, um, thirty deals a year. One of one of my um, he's actually one of my agents. He's an agent investor. Um, he's probably by now doing about sixty deals a year, all in. All he, he now he doesn't buy unless he's buying for a million, selling for two or three million, where his profit is probably two, three, four hundred, sometimes a half million dollars on each deal. He's doing like 50 or 60 deals, you know, a year. He's one of the top um flippers in, in Washington, D.C. Um, he borrows money, like he borrows money, he's, he's leveraging, um, you know, his contacts. Um, his credit. I haven't even talked about credit, but he's got the wherewithal to borrow the money. Generally, borrows money from community banks. You guys want to get with a community banker. My line of credit is with a community banker, but you want to leverage and 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 get that money. And so, also to be a player, and let me just mention this now really quickly. You've got to have. You got to start working on your credit because that's an easy way for some of you guys if. If you're really not, if you don't, if you're not learned on rehab costs, construction costs, you don't have a crew, um, if you don't have the time to um, go out and hustle and find deals, then save your money, your player, and work on your credit. Be able to get financing. Be able to come to somebody like me or some other people to say, you know, I just got a line of credit. Someone called me Sunday and said, I've got I just I'm gonna have a hundred and hundred and seventy thousand dollars available in a HELOC, a home equity line of credit. If you have a deal, I'm I'm willing to partner with you. And so that HELOC is just sitting there, it's not drawing any interest, it's just sitting there waiting to be used. He's not making any money. He does a deal with me, even if he's a private lender using that HELOC which he just, he fixed his credit. Then he got the HELOC. Now he's going to make 10%, maybe 15% on that money. So you've got to be a player. And in order to do a joint venture agreement, but start thinking about how can you become a player? What can you do? All right. So we talked about subject to private lenders, owner financing, joint venture agreements. And again, joint venture agreements can, the split can be whatever you want. I feel like sometimes when I'm doing almost everything except for bringing the money, um, you know, I generally split between um, around 60, 40 split when I do deal with a um, contractor, I'll split it 50, 50. Um, I'll take, I'll, I'll use my line of credit to acquire the property. They take care of the rehab. We split 50, 50, as long as, as long as the responsibilities and it's spelled out in your joint venture agreement, as long as the responsibilities are kind of split in half, and in most some, most cases, it's not exactly half. Um, generally speaking, one partner is going to do more than the other, and the partner that's going to do more than the other, you've got to be okay with it. It's all right. You've got to get through these deals. It's okay if you're splitting 50-50 and you do just a little more. You can't have any angst. You can't be in your feelings about it. Let's get through these deals. You needed that partner in order to get to where you were, so it's okay if you do a little more. It's all right. And so um, and so that's what we've got to do. All right. And so uh, owner financing same as, and so Donna Cole is asking, is owner financing the same as a land contract? No, but a subject to, a subject to is the same as a, um, what we call, a, what we used to call when I first got in the business, a land contract. So we used to call subject to back in the day, a land contract. So that's subject to Donna. Um, all right. So the last one is, um lease option and so i got my real estate license back in i was an investor first um and then for about five or six years investing um, i was in i.t i was a computer programmer senior systems analyst um but i'm an entrepreneur through and through and so um i later left i was i was investing i had my i.t job and i was investing the real estate agents were moving too slow for me. So I said, let me just go ahead and get my real estate license. And so I got my real estate license. So now I'm able to run my own comps, learn how to write contracts, started selling and got good at selling. Started selling back in the mid nineties. And I ran across this property that for me at the time I was in my, I was around 30, 31 years old, the dream home. It was um, it was a colonial. It was four bedrooms, two and a half bath, three levels, middle of the middle, um, middle of the cul-de-sac, two car garage. Dream home. Big deck and it back to a lake had ducks in the yard. Beautiful home. And so I showed the property to one of my clients. And deep down, I was praying, I was praying that they didn't want the property. Because I said to myself, if they don't want the property, I, I'm new in real estate, didn't have a lot of money. I mean, I'm new in real estate sales, didn't have a lot of money, but I was going to figure out a way to buy this property. And as luck has it, they didn't want the property. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. Now I've got to figure out how am I going to get this property? I don't really have the money. Um, I don't really qualify for for this property. Um it's a dream home for me. I'm like 30 years old, but it was my dream home. So here's what I did. Back then it was a market, um, unlike this market, it was a um, buyer's market where um, there's more sellers than buyers. Um, sellers, they were having a hard time selling their property. And so here's what I did. I approached the agent. Now I was just 30. I'm like, man, I, I have nothing to lose. I said, here's what I'll do. I'll rent the property from you from the seller from your client. I'll rent it for for 2 years, we'll lock up a sales price now and in 2 years I'll I'll have a loan I'll get a loan and pay them off. It was a lease with an option to buy. And to my surprise, they said yes. Like they said yes. Like I'm 30 years old in my dream house. I couldn't believe it. And so they agreed to it. And I forget what the note was. I mean, my, my mortgage payment probably around at that time, around maybe $1,200. I could afford that. I was betting on myself that in two years I would qualify for the property. And in two years I did. So in, um, in two years, um, I exercised my option and paid them off and had that property. And I kept that property for about 15 years. Um, and I still have that property and and I could kick myself for actually selling that property, but that's an example of a lease option. We use lease options, um, for a number of different reasons or, or ways, but primarily to lock up a property to, um, to be able to rent it out. And then at a later date, be able to, um, sell the property. Or refinance and, and keep the property um, like like I did. And so in a lease option, you want the option to be to purchase the property and you want it to be your option um, and to sublet the, the property. Uh, and so I've done lease options on other properties where um, I had the option, but i made sure I, I put into the agreement that I could sublet it out. And so I had a requirement on the lease to pay the owner fifteen hundred dollars a month, but I knew by running the comps I could rent it for more, and so I rented one property out for two thousand um, dollars. I sublet it out, and so I made five hundred dollars a month in po- in positive cash flow, and then in in two years I um, refinanced, paid them off, and now I was able to keep the whole you know the whole thing the whole two thousand dollars minus. You know my mortgage payment and so lease options are, are a great way to acquire property especially in a distressed market not not like a market that we're in um, but to tie up a property um, another good thing about a lease option is if in a year or two when an option period is over if you don't want to buy a property you don't have to you're not bound by it um, and a lease option sometimes you'll have to give some type of deposit up front that's um, non-refundable or They'll, they'll take part of your rent and say, okay, you, you're, you pay us $1,500 a month. We'll put 200 or 300 of that um, to go towards your your down payment. If you don't exercise the option, then we get to keep it. And so just keep that in mind. Hard to sell properties, lease options are good. Um, market that is is kind of distressed. And so we've done lease options for all those types of properties. Now keep in mind, there's a lot of investors now that are investing in Airbnbs. Most people who invest in Airbnbs, they don't own the property. Now I'm not suggesting um, that you don't own on an Airbnb because I would personally prefer to own the property, but a lot of of investors, they don't own on um, Airbnbs they get a lease option, but what's called a master lease. And so they'll put a master lease on the property. And that was, I was—I own a property in Annapolis. I was thinking about before I bought the property to uh, put a master lease on it so that I could use it as an Airbnb. Um, but the master lease kind of states that you're going to keep the property for two years, five years, whatever it is, um, that you're responsible for all the all the improvements on the property. Anything that happens to the property, um, you're you're in charge of. And then that you get to you disclose that you're using it as an Airbnb, um, and then it also allows you to sublet it out as an Airbnb. And that's what a lot of people are doing with Airbnbs. They don't actually own the property. They're doing lease options or master leases as a creative way to get that cash flow. Um, the reason why I don't I don't subscribe to doing the master lease is because the cash flow is good, but I want on my buy and holds, I want cash flow, but I also want equity and appreciation. So I, that's what I want. You're, and so when you're doing a master lease, um, you don't actually own the property. Um, because in most master leases, there's not an option to buy. It's just an option to lease for an extended period of time. But it's a great creative way to get cash flow. And then if you have an Airbnb in a, in a great area, you know, some people, buddy of mine, I, he told me yesterday that in one month, one month, he actually owns the property, but in one month, he pays for the whole entire year. So you can get a lot of great cash flow. And and then, you know, if you scale that to two, three, four, some people have that are really into that business have 10 Airbnbs, you know, some of those people are probably making 50, 60, um, you know, $70,000 a month and they haven't bought one property. And um, And so that's lease options. Um, that's master leases, Um, great for buy and hold properties. And so kind of as a review and you need to have creative financing strategies, um, as part of your arsenal. I certainly do every property that I, I run into, I'm trying to use one of the strategies. I love using these strategies. I talk to my students about this all the time. Almost every time that we talk, I talk about these strategies, but it's the best way to acquire a number of properties, whether you're buying and holding. And a lot of these strategies you can use as buy and holds. Um, One of the first subject twos that I did probably about 15 years ago was a townhouse in Montgomery County, Maryland, Olney, Olney, Maryland. Um, It was a townhouse. I did a subject two and instead of flipping the property i paid that mortgage for two years i rented it out um, to a to actually a voucher holder for two years and then in two years i I paid paid them off and they they were happy with that they were happy because the house was getting ready to go to foreclosure and so all these strategies are great for primarily flipping in my opinion um, um, except for lease options but you can do buy and hold with all of these. You can do buy and hold, especially with owner financing, you can do buy and holds. And so you can do buy and holds with all these all these things. So keep this in your arsenal. A, a, a lot of you think that I've got terrible credit, I can never get financing, uh, or I've got terrible credit, but I have cash. Okay, here's what you should do. You should find properties that you can do subject to, where you don't have to get um, uh, a loan, a, a mortgage on the property, or um, private, um, I'm sorry, owner financing, where the owner is financing for you, could care less about your credit. Um, so that's what you should do. Look, no excuse not to be an investor, no excuse. I mean, work on your credit, but don't let that hold you up. There's There's a number of different um, creative financing strategies that you can use that no one even looks at your credit. I mean, I didn't even mention like wholesaling real estate. No one cares about your credit. You're not even showing. Um, you're not even showing that. And so, um, let's use these strategies, you guys. Um, let's win. Let's make as much money as we can. Let's scale our business. Let's let's move towards financial freedom. One of my major concerns is that my my real estate agents and all the other agents um are just too happy just listing and selling real estate like and they're running up against deals and they're happy to just list the properties happy to get three percent commission or two and a half percent commission now we're going to take these properties we're going to disclose that we're an agent and we're going to try to work it out we're going to try to um, you know, use some, some of these strategies or buy in the traditional way so that we can improve our lives. But we've got to think, like we, we've got to strategize and you've got to be around like-minded people that um, know what to do, have the experience that can guide you in the right way. You will never, ever retire financially free just listing and selling real estate. That's for the real estate agents. You've got to invest. Um, Yes, you're happy. Yes, you're content with what you're making, what you're doing now. There's a whole big, (laughs) big world out here where there's agent investors. We call our agents agent investors that are making probably 10 times what you're making because you're just happy with the status quo. You're just happy just making a real estate commission. All right, so let me see if there's any questions. Follow me. Follow me here um, on my Instagram. Um, follow me now. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Um, hopefully, you know every week um, or a couple times a week, we're giving you um, some good nuggets, some quality information that can help you. Hopefully, you guys um, leave here today, and I'm getting ready to end this with some, just even some nuggets just to think about or to further read about. You guys contact me via. Um, Instagram. I'm happy to answer your questions. All right. Um, let me see, Lawrence. Let's see. Let me show his question. What suggestions do you have as far as financing? If I locate a property that I want to flip, I don't know any private lenders. Should I go to regular lend to a regular lender? Since this would be my first flip, um, I just met the owner who intends to sell fairly quickly, I need to be able to move quickly when he decides to, um, it's time to sell. And so Lawrence, my suggestion would be, obviously to to give me a call, but um, if you don't have the money or if you can't get financing, my suggestion is to partner with someone, partner with me. Lawrence happens to be an, um, an agent here in my office. But partner with me or partner with someone. Um, generally speaking, a lender, um, especially like a community bank, they, they want to see you have completed two deals, two deals. Now, whether you're a partner on that deal or you did it on your own or you're just a private lender, they want to see what they call past performance. And so oftentimes my agents, I'll just put them on a deal, um, say, give me $10,000, um, I'll give you 10% just to give them past performance. So Lawrence, you need past performance in order to get the best financing. And that's from like a like a, a community bank um, or partner, partner with someone that can help you. And I'm happy to partner with you or there's many other agents in the office, um, Lawrence, that you know, that would be happy to partner with you. Look, you guys, when you guys are first getting started, it's a learning curve. There's no shame in splitting the profits for the sake of learning, and so you've got to learn, and so and it's okay. It's okay to split the profits um, to learn, and so so that's what I I would highly recommend uh, to you, Lawrence, to simply partner with someone. All right. So Jason is saying, seems like owner financing is good for probate properties, right? You know, honestly, it depends. Generally on a probate property, um, unless they're distressed, the personal representative and the heirs, they want their money um, right away. Um, Owner financing, they're not getting their money right away. Now, subject to they will um, once the house is renovated and sold. Um, But generally on probate, um, even though in most cases, 70% of the time on a probate, The owner died um, owing no money on the property. 70% of the time they died with the mortgage free and clear. Um, And I know I did say with owner financing, it's best used when there's no mortgage on the property. Probate is different. Probate, those heirs, um, especially if they're Generation Xers. So the baby boomers are passing away now, the Generation Xers. the ones who are generally the the personal representative they're the ones that were taught to go to school and and get degrees but consequently you know they're they're mainly and i'm not stereotyping it's kind of fun uh working nine to five jobs that's just what that generation was taught so they're living paycheck to paycheck they need that money and so they're not going to do owner financing generally speaking because it's on finance it takes longer to get to that money. And so when we see a Generation Xer who's a personal representative, we know that they want their money pretty quickly. Um, Let's see, I don't think there's any other questions. I don't see any other questions. Um, Thank you guys, thank you guys for being here. Lots of you guys stayed on, I really appreciate it. Hopefully, hopefully this um, kind of enlightened you um, that you can do further research again i'm happy to um, meet you know meet with you or answer any of your questions if you guys are interested in our brokerage um, go to joinbrs.com and scrolling at the bottom joinbrs.com we'd happy to talk to you um, but look let's let's really start working on our personal finances Let's let's scale um, through information, through knowledge. Let's scale our income. Let's scale our finances. Um, I don't want your excuse to be. I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the support. I didn't have the knowledge. Um, I'm here and I'm willing to help. You know, the only way I'm going to get my blessings is to be a blessing to you. And so allow me to be a blessing. Allow my whole team to be a blessing. We want everybody to win. And, like, we want, you know, if one boat rises, we all rise. So let's go, you guys. Let's win. All right, you guys, um, take care. God bless. And I will talk to you soon. Take care.